Last Friday, Netflix dropped the second 10-episode season to the fast-paced teen drama mystery adventure show Outer Banks. I watched all 487 minutes. We've got a lot to cover. Welcome to today's episode. These shows always feel really difficult to jump into because two seasons worth of data. I just binged the second one, and the second one is way more convoluted than the first. The cast has basically said in every single interview, they said the same line, which is the fact that they put their heel on the gas, but that they never let up. The so, show went off the rails, but it didn't jump the shark. Okay, so it's like the events are just so outlandish, but it doesn't feel like it's too far-fetched. Oh, it's too far-fetched, but it's entertaining, and I guess it's ingrained enough in the show's DNA. Like, you learn who John B. is. He's the narrator of the show, the main character. You have JJ, the comic relief best friend who also has, like, a violent streak. He has a gun in the first season. Kiara Key, she comes from a rich family, but she considers herself a pogue, which is... Basically I, I a low life. <laughs> I have here she's technically a cook, but that yes. So cook just means her. on the marsh side, like that they she's rich, but her parents are half cook, half pogue. Like one of them <laughs> used to be a pogue, yeah. but she, her parents want her to be a cook, want her to okay, to, but... to live that life. However, she's just like, no, screw that. I want to hang out with my friends. So she never really has a question. There's never an honor question of whether which side she's going to okay. choose. Like with Sarah. She is a cook, but she joins the Pogues about halfway through the first season because she falls in love with John B. This is the interesting thing. Chase Stokes and Madeline Klein, uh, John B. and Sarah Cameron, they're actually dating in real life. That's so, not a I, surprise. I mean, yeah. So Sarah and John B. are dating. The only surprising element to that is I know that he's like 28 years he's 28. old. I think she's, she's 22. She's 22. In the show, he's 17. She's 16. Could you tell that he was way older? Because I have here, actually, they all have had some of a career, a three truths and one lie game. I want to see if you can guess what the lie is. It all has to deal with their auditions and different things that they've done. Okay. So, one, we have Chase Stokes auditioned for Han Solo and almost got the part. There's even a line in Outer Banks she tries to sneak into one of the scenes of the show in order to pay homage of what could have been. Number two is Madeline Klein originally auditioned to be the main person in True Grit and has already been cast in the sequel to Knives Out, titled Knives Out 2. The third one is Jonathan Davis. Uh, You're going to have to tell me who they play as well. Jonathan Davis is who? Jonathan Davis is Pope. Okay. Yeah, and uh, he, around the time that Idris Elba was being rumored to be cast as James Bond, was originally thought to play James Bond's son as James Suzuki. The first time in films James Bond's son would have been portrayed by an actor. And then uh, number four is Madison Bailey. She plays Kiara. Uh for a show that was unknown at the time she auditioned for a television show that was completely in spanish and she even like transcribed it and everything even though she herself didn't speak spanish and uh when she went in for the audition and she could either choose to do it in, in, in english or spanish she decided to choose spanish and when she was like just to let you know if i get the part i don't know how to speak spanish the casting director was like yeah i know based off of her audition okay what was the second one again the second one was madeline klein originally auditioned to be the main person in true grid and Madeline Klein is... Madeline Klein is uh, the love interest. Yeah, okay, Sarah. Sarah, yeah. Okay, so I will say that one. It's no, she, she, she did try out for True Grit. All and right, she will so be what's the fake too. one? Uh, Jonathan Davis, Pope. The fact that he was supposed to play James oh, Bond's son. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that one just... I didn't really care about that one too much because I, I know that Idris Alba distanced himself from wanting to play James Bond. He was like, I'm not going to do it. 
So I doubt they made a script for it. So I probably could have guessed that if I really thought about it. Um, One thing I've seen is that Chase Stokes kind of, or John B, I should say, he speaks a lot in the show. And I was wondering, does that come across as kind of like... He narrates a lot in the show. And he stated he does not like, that's probably the least favorite part of his job. But does it come across as like you or In the first season, he is the main character. In about half of the second season, he is the main character for the first five or six episodes. But then it switches over and becomes Pope's storyline for a little bit. They changed the treasure hunt that they've been having into sort of like it's his ancestry that's been involved in it like his his grandmother has this secret key and then he's the one who really leads them to find the church and really what used to be john b's father's mission to find all this gold turns into every single one of them having some connection to the past of the the treasure they're trying to find it switches from the gold to the key to the um to the cross by the end and then the scarf right so what takes place in that church scene because jonathan the church the church scene isn't until like episode seven so let's let's backtrack a little bit let's talk about where we left things off in the first season Mm -hmm. season one was much more focused we had (laughs) the story of john b learning the truth about his dad's murder and then finding out that the treasure was like actually real and kind of convincing the rest of the Pogues and his crew. He also falls in love with Sarah at this time, mm-hmm. but he does that while looking for the treasure. And then th- they find out that other people are also looking for it. Specifically, we find out that Sarah's father, Ward Cameron, is actually a big villain of the series. Like all I remember Chip Eston in was from like Who's Line, him and Colin Mockery. Like if Colin Mockery had been in this role, that would have been perfect. <laughs> Because I cannot imagine him playing a psychopathic killer. And that is who <laughs> Chip Eston is. He says he does it for his family. But him, his son, his, the, his wife, who is a stepmother to Sarah and Elizabeth, all the Camerons are crazy except for Sarah and Wheezy, which is Elizabeth, her <laughs> sister. So, But Rafe takes the cake. But first we get Ward Cameron. He, he's the one who actually killed um, John B.'s father which is pretty sick if you think about it because then he hires John B to work on his boat for a while. So John B doesn't know that it was him that killed his father. Not until later on. He actually adopts John B because John B <laughs> in the first season it, 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 again it's more grounded in reality. So he's 17 years old and he's living by himself because his father mysteriously disappeared. Everyone assumes he's dead. So child protective services are constantly trying to show up at his place and kind of take him away. Mm-hmm. But the sheriff is kind of running interference for him. However, also saying, well, you got to do me tit for tat. Like they find uh, this boat and this compass and stuff. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Point is, at the end of the season, Ward, who has adopted John and seemed like a good guy, has stolen the gold from them and pins him for murder of a lot of people, including the police officer who's just about to arrest Ward at the end of the season when Rafe comes out of nowhere and shoots her in the back. Jeez. So, okay, so... so, And this is on a tarmac well, where the gold is going to be flown off. So <laughs> the pilot comes in, flies the gold away, then starts threatening Ward in the second season about having the gun because all the pogues are saying, oh, oh I, I jumped over a big part. So John B. is on the run now. The FBI are after him. This is the end of season one, basically. Mm-hmm. He goes off in his boat, Dexter style, with his girlfriend <laughs> straight into the storm. They capsize their boat. It seems like they're dead. Everybody thinks they're dead. Um, except we see them being rescued the next day or, or hours later by this sort of tugboat. Um, and, and they're taken to the Bahamas. 
And I really liked how they sort of ended it because everybody felt like they were in their proper place. Like John B. and Sarah got away. Uh, her father is still at large, sort of pinning them for murder. It seemed like there was a lot of like cool kind of like storylines where it could go from there. And the beginning of the season two sort of kicks off well, right where it ends. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that actually Jonathan Pate for season one at the end of the finale shot multiple different endings because he wasn't sure which one they were going to use. So what you saw was one of, I believe, like a, a couple, maybe a dozen. And I like that, had. but you could have told me that for season two, the way they ended season two. And I would have believed it more because this one did not feel as organic. The way they left <laughs> things off in season two was wily. It's just insane. Well, I want to say that if season two remains on track with the IMDb scores, because like in season one, it had maybe 700 to 900 reviews. If season two is the same and they get like to where they are, because right now they're in like the mid 100s, this show will have far outdone its ratings in season one. Uh, there's like six episodes right now that are in the nines. The ending episode has a 9.7, and the other four episodes that came out this season are in the high eights. There's a scene <laughs> in this season where one of them, uh, Pope, is it gets stung by some wasps. We find out he's allergic, so he starts going into, like, he can't breathe. They take him to this ER guy who they've screwed over already. They stole his ambulance once. He gives him epinephrine, and then he just wakes up, and the momentum he has gets it. it like, he's, he's awake. He's ready to go. He's like He jumps on the car, and he drives them right into a tree um like <laughs> like he this is this is this is basically the show now though like the show feels like it took a giant shot of epinephrine and it just wants to go in every direction possible and it works in some storylines it feels almost like a south korean drama where they only get 13 episodes so they want to <laughs> chock it full with everything they possibly can the mysteries are abound it's craziness. If you like that type of thing, you'll enjoy the show. But there are so many issues w that you can find mm -hmm. and nitpick at. For instance, the repetition of what happens in this mystery. It's supposed to be like the kids are out finding stuff, like a, a grown-up version of Home Before Dark. Okay. Okay. So, so, yeah. so, so you find the compass in the in the first few episodes. That's John B's like major thing. It was his dad's compass, and it has some meaning behind it. It says Redfield in the back of it. He's and but then the bad guy takes the compass, right? Yeah. But then they find the gold. They have the gold at their disposal. They have a bar of it. They try to pawn it off in a pawn shop. They're going to get the rest of it out any day now. There's a crazy lady who's sort of guarding it. Then the bad guy takes the gold. Okay. <laughs> so All right. Taking then they knowledge. find the key, and the key is actually more important than the gold was. It's actually all tied together, but it actually holds the the key holds the key to finding the cross, and the cross has the gold as well. It's like a giant <laughs> gold cross filled with diamonds, but also has a little thing for a key to go into it. Mm -hmm. And so they find the key, but then the bad guy takes the key, <laughs> and so then and then they find the gold cross. And then the bad guy takes the gold cross. Are you sensing sort of the repeating was, thing? Yeah, my question. That <laughs> and it's all the same bad guys sort of by the end. It, it, at first, it's a bunch of different bad guys. But by the end, it, Rafe, basically Rafe uh, and the rest of the Camerons have the key, have the gold cross, and have the gold itself. I Yeah, my question here was, does it seem like they repeat any storylines? Because uh, even one of the interviewers for Jonathan Pate said, this is the second time now in two seasons that it seemed like the Pogues kind of had like a fortune and then ended up losing it by the end. Oh, yeah, the, the fortune <laughs> part. There's also repeat um, uh, car chase scenes. Uh, and when this, you say repeat car chase scenes, you mean like... Whoa, whoa, oh, whoa. some crazy car chase. Like straight out of Fast and Furious if it was a <laughs> TV people show. People have compared it to this, yeah. Yeah, but that's not even getting into my biggest beef with the show, which is 
not only do they do the thing where like no one really important dies besides the sheriff in the first one right but they also beat the shit out of those characters every single episode and the time between each single episode is at most a couple days but we're talking bullet wounds which require internal surgeries axe attacks crocodile bites wasp stings yeah. uh <laughs> concussions pistol whips punches to the face and i'm not talking light ones police brutality attempted strangulation in jail jeffrey epstein style like i'm gonna pretend to hang you so he has giant marks around his neck for one episode next episode it's like gone. Like and dark. Kicks, kicks to the ribs drowning fails from big sorry not fails i'm just reading that falls from big heights car crashes heat exhaustion shipwrecks and explosions like he shoots a gun at a tank of gas but he's not even too far away from it so the amount of explosions <laughs> pope should have died right then and there all of them should be dead 10 times over but miraculously their healing abilities like sarah in the beginning of season two gets shot near close to the appendix the dock that they take her to, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, we're going to take them to a shady dock right, yeah. to have them fixed up. Right, yeah. This was the shadiest motherfucker I've ever <laughs> seen portrayed on TV. Like, I would trust Dr. Detton. No, I wouldn't. But uh, this guy, like, usually they try to make them out. Like, I used to be a good surgeon, but I got fired right, for something. something happened. Yeah. No, this guy, like, untrustworthy to the max. And somehow he accomplished the amazing. He thinks she's dead. For like two minutes, and I, I so much so that the audience actually will buy into the fact that she's dead because John B. There's the the vitals are dead. John B. is screaming over her body, and then they decide to bring her back. Uh, yeah, I, I read after about that three as well. minutes. They did this something similar later on with some drownings with uh, JJ. Everybody's sort of died once in the show, but come back. <laughs> but the biggest fuck you that they do to the audience is at the very end of season two, uh -huh, yeah. where the big twist is that John B's father uh -huh. is still alive, despite the fact that we've seen <laughs> seen evidence, we've seen his body rotting on the ground. This is one of the things that I always predict like deaths because if we don't see them actually die, like with earlier on, they tried to fake us out and say Ward Cameron right. and killed himself. Right. No one's buying that. Everyone knew that bad guy was alive. The way he even did it was uh, suspect. Mm -hmm. But with John B's thing, I feel like the writers pulled a fast one well, there okay. and they had no plans for it because we saw in season one cut fakes to how he actually died and we saw his body rotting. The and so I think what they hinted at at the very end, because there's this very sick lady, like a Lady Havisham type, mm -hmm. who's in search of this scarf, right? Right, yeah. And the scarf is supposed to have supernatural powers. Now, up until Wait, this what? point, <laughs> up until this point, this show has grounded itself in reality where we don't have, like, magic, right? Right. But now it seems like we might actually be getting <laughs> magic because there's no other explanation that would be plausible for John B.'s father to have somehow come back to life. We saw the rotting flesh. <laughs> there's... Well, there's a couple things to that twist. Um, I don't know if Jonas Pate ever like made the show and then thought that they were going to bring him back. But before season two, they were saying they they were thinking maybe even episode three or four, you would realize that he was alive. But when they realized just how much implications and twists and maybe like the thought process that would kind of have to go behind explaining it, uh, they were like, yeah, we should probably save this. For, for the well finale. the thing is in the first few episodes they don't show the rotting flesh we don't know how john b's father actually died but then we see him sort of die by ward cameron and you're like okay he got hit in the head real hard and thrown out to sea maybe he's not actually dead maybe war maybe he somehow survived that turns out they show us that he did survive that he crawled out of the ocean uh, etched something into the watch but then we do watch him die 
We watch him die on that island. We see his his eyes glaze over and him being on the ground. And then we see him like a few days later still in the same position with the eyes glaze over. There's no way that that guy, they, they even tried to, I guess, backtrack in the last episode in the cut scene where they were, or the very end scene where they were like, he's half dead. It's like, no, he's full dead, guys. <laughs> this guy is not around anymore. So when they say that they really did just go all gas in this thing and no breaks, they, they really meant it. In fact, Jonathan Pate even... Even said that he wished that there was more romance kind of like they had in season one <laughs> because that, they got the mtv best kiss and that for season three he will put more romance into the show because he felt like there was so much action such as the alligator scene or the church scene which took about a week to film i believe and they said it was one of the hardest things that they had to film that season and the fact that also he wants to bring this show to at least season four or five before he feels like it's at time for uh a close they shot this even though it takes place in north carolina and south carolina as yeah. well so you, the alligator like, scene provided nothing by the way like it was crazy that they were in a marsh and they were alligators cool they didn't need to make the alligator actually attack john b like there was no <laughs> he got bit in the foot survived it and then they just went about the show like what was the point in so that? It was other than like, just shock value so is john b is he supposed to be a protagonist obviously that you're supposed to like but is he supposed to kind of ride the line between um, moral and immoral because uh, well the, the pokes are this... the pokes in general are supposed to be like well we get by with what we get by with so we're gonna play with the law however all of them should be in jail just for because when john b was on the run he did evade the the fbi the police he did break the law several times so did his friends by aiding and abetting and even though he right. ended up getting cleared of it in the season two uh thing when when ward killed himself and the evidence kind of compounded and said hey it's rafe and ward who have done all the crimes the kids had still done enough sketchy stuff where they probably b belonged in some sort of juvie, but they just, the police officers at that point, I guess, were just like, we're going to let it go. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you said that kind of like the second part of like, the... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go, go, go. I, I missed something, though. JJ, in the first season, got like arrested and had legal trouble where he was in debt for $35,000 mm -hmm. and where he was out on bail this entire time. Right. But they never talked about that in season two. This guy, so, I think, so the whole I think he was awaiting just... trial... Like for, but they never explained how he got out of that. Like they got money to get him out of it, but then he they wasted the money. He bought a hot tub because his father beats him and that's a whole nother story wow okay so, so i don't understand like again reality strikes in this show when it's convenient for them the police show up when it's convenient for the police to show up and sometimes like if the also school they're all in school uh -huh. oh, however wow. we okay. only see them ever attend it like I don't know, three times throughout the series is a very helpful teacher who always is able to like tell them clues and stuff. Them, yeah. but, but, so th there's a place called Pogue's Landia, right? That's yes. the place that they go by the very end of this season. That's not really a place that's more, <laughs> they, so they, <laughs> it's hard to explain the ending, but they get onto the ship where the Camerons are all planning to escape. And this is where the big shock. Oh, no. Uh, Ward Cameron's still alive. Okay. Um, so all the treasure and the gold and everything is on there. They have this big elaborate plan to save Sarah, who's been sort of drugged and, and left on the boat. They sneak onto one of the cargo uh, holds. And then they try to, like, um, pull a, uh, what's the word, John McClane and, like, <laughs> beat hard, up yeah. everyone. Uh, however, that doesn't work. They do meet someone from earlier on when, when they were in the Bahamas. Cleo, right? Is Cleo, that... yeah, she just randomly is on the boat with them. And then, but it's unsuccessful. In the end, the boat people kind of like take over again. The Camerons get away with all the treasure. 
and they escape onto this little duggy boat and they just like go off and they end up in the Caribbean somewhere with no supplies, no money. But then suddenly they're like, this is cool. We're just going to live here now. And so, so, so they're just on an island right now <laughs> and they have no supplies whatsoever. And they're cool with it. They're just like, oh, look at the waves out there. Let's go surf. It practically is the same kind of ending that season one gave just this time it's with all but this makes no sense because like in the first season it was like okay you're being pinned for murder i thought that was going to be an overwhelming thing and that it would just keep on growing and ward would keep on getting away with stuff in the second season the b team kiara and and jj and um and pope all film ward committing a murder and for some reason kiara decides to start screaming at ward we got you on film mother (laughs) which of course causes him to start chasing them and then they break the camera it was such a stupid scene I, but it's still entertaining to watch. You said that the second <laughs> half of the season focused more on Pope. Jonathan Pate, when asked about that, was like, yeah, we just decided to make him the main character because we thought that there was a lot of story that he could have. So they knew I guess it maybe it was Pope like a heavy. diversity thing, but it didn't feel organic too much. It kind of felt like, well, what can we really do with the plot to make it more inclusive and also interesting, but not in a, a logical way? So it's much more style over substance, you would say? Uh, yeah, which is interesting because in the first season, they did spend the first couple episodes really trying to define these characters. And that's why I liked it where they left off the first season because everybody felt like they were in their specific place. Kiara and Pope's relationship, they date for a while, right? Mm -hmm. They they end up breaking up in the next season but their relationship is actually truer than i think a lot of portrayals on on tv because kiara never really seems into it but also she's like i don't know how to feel and i feel like uh, that's never really shown it's always like you're either completely into it or like one of them is having an affair with someone oh, yeah, else yeah, but it's never just opposite. sort of like kind of this realistic so like it was fair. friend zone type thing well it was just interesting because i wasn't expecting it however also i i have several predictions for what's coming okay now. yeah go ahead Cause, cause, First, okay, good. <laughs> there's no way that John B. doesn't meet his father eventually. Now that they've introduced the fact that he's back, he has to meet him. Now it might be one of those supernatural things where he, like, he meets his father and then his father sacrifices himself and dies. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, like they meet one time. And then... <laughs> like finally he gets this chance to say goodbye or something. Yeah, right. Then I also predict that Kiara and JJ are going to become a thing. I've been predicting that since season one. She ended up with pope in this in the first season and i thought that was all right but i think that they've been hinting at it slightly that she and him are going to be the end in the background yeah um th- they've never actually like shown it but it's just these like maybe lingering shots every once in a while mm-hmm. pope is going to get the fortune back now that he's tied to the actual person who originally founded the fortune or got the fortune from the boat that had sunk <laughs> I-, I can't explain <laughs> yeah, that okay. but i think he's going to be the one who ends up with the fortune and he's going to give some to his friends and the less fortunate uh rafe who we haven't talked about but he is by far the craziest most psychopathic villain that we have in the series um also very unpredictable and unbalanced because he's a drug addict slash i think very stupid (laughs) Um, uh, he's supplanted ward as the main big bad because ward is now like kind of he he was injured in the last episode Mm -hmm. and so that kind of gave them an excuse for rafe to become the kind of titular bad guy of the show um he's going to be the the big bad is what i'm predicting for the future when ward does get healthy enough though i think that john's dad is going to have a scene with him well, I th- yeah, I, I would think so. But they're right? in completely different places. So that, that's what I'm saying. Is it's gonna, they're going to find a way to bring them back together. Topper, who we also haven't mentioned, is Sarah's ex. And he goes. he's also pretty sociopathic. Like He almost kills John B. in the first season a couple mm-hmm. times because he just is jealous. 
However, he also has shown signs of being a good guy because, like, in the very end, he does have somewhat of a conscience. It's just so clouded by the fact that he's in love with Sarah, someone who he can never have. Right, But yeah. he, So he's not as bad as Rafe, but, like, I think he will eventually have some redeeming moment. Like, his character is one of the few cooks that isn't going to get screwed over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what the fuck with the scarf? I, I don't know <laughs> where we're going with it, but we're definitely going to get more from it. The thing that doesn't make sense is that they found the cross... They use the key to open it where the scarf is supposed to be. We know that the main dude who hid the cross in the church has long ago passed. So who could have taken the scarf before that? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I know that. And I know for people who haven't watched the show, that doesn't, whatever I just said, doesn't make any sense. But if you understand, if you've watched the show, you're, you're also on board with this. I think you're like, how did they get the scarf out if the, if the uh, cross never left the church? Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, a lot of interviewers have asked Jonathan Pate, it, like, what about season three? He's basically said to be determined. But one thing that the cast members have brought up is the fact that they don't get the scripts all at once. They get the scripts usually as time goes on. So mm-hmm. they try to be very, very locked down with um, everything that they do they don't want to give away too many secrets it also feels like maybe because of covid i don't know yeah but they may have changed some storylines here because it feels like kiara's kiara's um parents who just come off as hard asses who want to send her to therapy and stuff but really if you think about it they're just looking out for her like best interest and they're like she keeps on getting into trouble but it felt like at some point because they are half pogue that they were going to come to the realization that she was right and that she like once john b had been let off for the murders charge I'm surprised there wasn't a reunion where they were like, oh, wow, we're sorry that we judged your friend so so harshly. So with the Pogues, is there any, like, rival groups, almost like a Clockwork Orange in that way, or even Scum? I know that there was, like, two rival groups throughout the whole entire series. Think about, uh, well, again, the kooks, but um, think about Wet Hot American Summer, where you had, like, the camps, um, you had the the sort of Rapscallion, like, the Paul Rudd group, and then you had, like, these posh polo shirt-looking people, and at the very end of the season they they, yeah, they fought when, they like, fight each other that's singing. sort of how yeah. the kooks and like the kooks and the pokes fight each other all the time and for some reason um they they like jj kept on getting hired despite his criminal past i don't know how but like at the beginning of season two he is back hired as uh, as a cook or a um waiter somewhere and then he gets into a fight because someone's talking about john b and how he murdered the cop when he mm-hmm. didn't okay. uh point is like there's a bunch of bad guys but the, the the most interesting storyline at the beginning of season two, though, was the fact that you had John B. and Sarah in the Bahamas. Like, right, yeah, that would be the, a fun place to shoot. And the things they did, they went, they almost get caught at the beginning, but then they go and they hang out in a hotel, which you can do if you're a tourist and you look like you're an American. I've done that <laughs> in, like, San Juan, where you can literally sneak into a hotel, and as long as you have, like, their towel or something, like, you can just go and hang out on their beach. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah and that's basically what yeah, they that's do what they, did. Yeah, they just okay. pretend to be uppity americans and they kind of just hang out until oh they get yeah caught. i saw that one of i saw that like they called sarah cameron or something to karen in one of the uh in one of the articles oh yeah every so, once in a while they bring out uh, modern dialogue like kiara says sus sus a lot like, yeah and that's what a lot of articles use as well season one got a lot of viewerships and it was almost like everyone's kind of after covid binge because it came out in april so well you people, have tiger king and all those but yeah it definitely really was one of the popular for season ones two. i know that i think that the target audience is probably somewhere between the uh early teens or people just about to become teens because a lot of the like press releases for this even though there was some like uh they did the lie detector the main two did the lie detector yeah. when they were doing the live stream it wasn't even about the show they were just like if you had four million dollars how many movie tickets would you think you could buy (laughs) they have so much money with that gold 
that they find in the first season i don't think they needed to make it a bigger mystery with this other stuff like it just feels so as i said before convoluted before if they had centered just around the chase for this gold the entire series i think they would have been just fine <laughs> you yeah, know well it has a 7.6 on imdb and like i said season two has higher scores but so but it sounds like you were saying season one is is it better it's more structured and the b plot team in season two the ones who aren't in the bahamas they don't do nothing for the first few episodes of season two but they spend a lot of time on them so trying to get you acclimated to the idea that there is this uh continuing mystery that transcends the the uh, gold like for some reason pope in the first season he was on board to get the scholarship which would have led him out of the being a a um a pogue and then he gets this contact from juliet from lost who right yeah i think she shows up in like yeah she's the lady havisham person who really steals the cross and her brother is also there and she ends up murdering him because he's the backstabber as well she murders her own brother well yeah because he's like about to screw her over she's sick it doesn't matter um (laughs) Yeah, she's she's the one who actually meets John B at the end, John B's dad, because uh, apparently she was also part of that crew that was trying to find the gold originally or the treasure. Well, it seems like pretty coincidental. Like in season two, it plays out like a video game. Like if you were one of those characters, there's so many Grand Theft Auto things, even with the police where they're on the run, and if they escape, then the police never come after them again for that same thing. It's like they because reset. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they forget. Yeah, but it, like again with the stolen ambulance, everybody knows who did it. Everybody has a description of them, and they're able to like figure. Able to, yeah, but then, able, but, but yeah. no one cares in the end. <laughs> I mean, Ready Steady Cut gave this uh, season two and a half out of five stars and said it's full of the illogical drama that season one was known for. Outer Banks does much of the same, providing an entertaining, not thought-provoking watch. <laughs> not thought-provoking. However, if you jumped into any episode, there's plenty to think about. It's just <laughs> it don't don't rely on that don't be like well this clue is definitely going to lead to something unless they pound it into your face then it's not going to come back later on it's also surprising because it doesn't have a raw tomato score for season two but it does for season one is around well it just came out yeah it had like three tomatoes and one rod in last time i, I was i was also two. happy that the main cop dude who we thought was pretty sketchy because he had a lot of connections with ward eventually came around and was like okay well it's clear that ward and rafe are the ones to blame here and that these kids are telling the truth despite the fact that he was so against the pogues for the most time even like there was even another cop that like literally just beat beat down um he was he was going to kill um john b when he found him for killing the cop and then at the end when he gets released there was a nice moment where he he sort of as penance for what he did he gives him his car back where they didn't really have to he's just like just get it off the road and i'm uh, he didn't really say he was sorry but he did so uh, well going back to the first cop how often does it seem like characters come to logical conclusions is there any a time where it seems like they just well, it's not about that. logical conclusions it's about like redemption and topper gets a little bit of redemption despite the fact that again he's a sociopath um you get a little bit of redemption from the cops uh you get some redemption even within the characters for some of their mistakes for a while john b wants to kill um ward but he doesn't end up doing that in the end he gets the opportunity to kill him in the same way that he killed his dad and they kind of overdo that because he says is this the way you killed my dad i was like yes we get we get it you don't have to pound it in for for us to understand there was also a really stupid line where um pope had the cross and he was guiding almost 
uh, what is it? A tractor that kind of pulls up um, right, things yeah, from the yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget it what like they call it. It's like a crane. Yeah. And he was holding it and he wanted to put the the cross onto their like a little escape ship. But then it became clear while he was down there that everybody was getting loose, all the people that they had trapped. Mm-hmm. And so that they were going to be overwhelmed and they had to just escape while they could. And he was like, if no, or if I can't have it, no one can. And he was going to just drop the thing <laughs> in the ocean. And so Rafe sees that and he grabs the rope and then all the bad guys pull the, the cross back onto the boat and then they just like get away and they also try to give rafe and ward some redemption and it does not work those people are unredeemable they're right you you said that they're like the main villains yes but like with ward he always tries to say this is for family they try to do a breaking bad where it was like well he was originally a good guy no this guy his decision making his the amount of murders he commits he tries to justify it he's a bad dude and with Rafe, they've they, he tries to point out he's like, I know what I'm doing is bad, but he just keeps on doing it, and you can tell that the inner hate is there with so, him. So, so I know that you said that like if you know where you're getting into, you're probably going to enjoy. It. But would you give this a positive review for the full show? Like, yes, because you- I well, yes, because anybody watching this isn't going to be fooled, and so they'll know pretty quickly if it's the type of show they like. Does the humor work? Like, because I know there is some like. It, yeah, I mean, the humor is interwoven within all the action and stuff. Um, and I, JJ can be really funny. Some of his comic... When he was stealing the ambulance and he gets to the hospital... Or no, to the prison because he's trying to break out John B. Mm-hmm. at this point. He he turns around because he knows he'd be recognized as... Or that they are used to seeing the other guy there. And he was just like, load him up! <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was just a funny scene because like... Yeah, well, they were like, are you? No, 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 because then someone was like, are you going to get your patient? And he clearly didn't know how to do the job. <laughs> and so he then gets out of the car and he's like, yeah, absolutely. And so I've, Well, I've heard that like when they actually get together this season and they all see each other for the first time, it's actually kind of somewhat like a heartwarming moment because it's like, oh, but the, it's like during a chase scene, kind of like you were saying. Yeah, so, so they all end up in a completely different place than, um, than the Outer Banks. Mm-hmm. And that's like as soon as Sarah and John make their way back to the U.S. from the Bahamas. And keep in mind, Sarah had been shot in the chest by her, bro- not in the chest, but like in the tummy by her right. brother. And <laughs> yeah. uh, and she was running around just fine. Like it, there was a couple times that she was like, ow. But like yeah, besides I, that, it, the entire season, she should be hobbled to the point where she can barely move. Sometimes when someone gets shot in like these type of shows, if it's a slow burn, they don't move at all. Like right. they're in a wheelchair for like, and they, they hardly move an inch. But this thing, it's like you're... You, you, you're stitched yeah, up I've and all, you, you go on your way. I've also learned that like John B knew just enough to like save her life, but like you were saying, she was just. Oh, able you're talking to... about like when she first gets shot, yeah. he drives her into like a cornfield, and then he's like, put as much pressure onto it as possible, even if it hurts. And it's like, okay, well, at least you weren't like, let's take out the bullet. <laughs> the, the final fact I have about this is that Jonathan Pay, when pitching the show originally, just made his own fake trailer, uh, like with just his friends that he knew and had scenes in there that obviously showed up in the show and netflix saw that fake trailer and was like yeah you know we'll pick it up so that's, <laughs> really that's yeah. a, okay well cleo um i feel like her story was underdeveloped too like how did she get from being in the bahamas where she was almost caught and she was 
perfectly okay sort of giving up all the treasure and helping john b and sarah it was funny like i just was curious I, about I, her yeah i i like when but i was like doing she's research, obviously going to be a big deal in the future when i was doing research i thought that she was supposed to kind of be like one of the main stars of the show that's why no she was only in like three episodes total yeah. but she became sort of a central figure by yeah. the end because she helped them i think like you said she's supposed to have a bigger storyline later on so yeah so i think we've talked about everything the name of the sheriff who got shot in the first season was uh peterkin uh deputy shoop is the one who has sort of the um come to jesus moment <laughs> and uh and helps out the crew the royal merchant is the name of the ship i just wanted to get some of these like terms out of the way um so because we've been mentioning them all throughout uh and so yeah i think that's kind of a a representation of the first two seasons obviously we could be here for hours talking about everything that happened season, though, i imagine now that you've seen the second one? You know one? what? Maybe because I've invested so much time already into it. I did when I watched the first season because I was just prepping for this. Um, I hadn't seen it and I watched it at 1.5 speed, which actually wasn't too bad. Um, Maybe in season two, if you watch it at 1.5 f- speed, it might be too fast because of just how much is going on. I, yeah. I slowed it down for season two. And it, at first I did notice the difference, but then eventually it was like the show was fast paced enough where things were. Right. Um, the only scenes that are hard to sit through is like when you know it was about to happen. I was even like almost screaming at the tele or the uh, the computer when i was watching the last scene because i knew they were bringing back the dad they made it so obvious and i was like don't do it don't do it don't do it don't do it and then they did it do you see it from the back where it's like you hear someone in the background narrating and then as they show soon as they started the last scene which almost came like an after the credit scene mm. type i was like the only thing they could do right now if they were going to reveal someone because there was no one else to reveal right. everyone else we know where they are and so he was literally the only one and it was impossible for that to actually be the truth and yet they made it that way so i was kind of pissed off all right okay (laughs) all right thanks for listening we'll see you on the next episode sorry for such a chunky episode bye bye